Thanks, Safina. That was beautiful. Uh, man, uh, you know, if the baptisms that we do around here, it's just, it's, it's awesome to experience that, to do that, to experience it, to watch the joy on people's faces, especially as they come up out of the water. It's really an amazing thing to, uh, to experience. Uh, so this sermon started out to be something else. It was going to be about decision-making. I worked on this sermon, this text, for quite some time, and I was convinced that it was going to be about decision-making because Joseph, the protagonist in the story, has a decision to make. Now, a sermon about decision-making would be completely appropriate based on this particular text, but no matter how I tried, I could not fit the sermon into my vision for it. And it was quite frustrating for several hours until I realized I had to go in a different direction. I don't really know why it didn't work, but it just didn't work. And in this case, the, uh, the creation of a sermon is itself an illustration of things. So a sermon is usually filled with illustration. In this case, the creation of the sermon is an illustration of the sermon itself because it started out to be one thing. I was hoping for one thing, and then I experienced something different, something else. And that's life, isn't it? You start out hoping for one thing, and it becomes something else. And at first, you might, you might not be excited about the something else. You might even fight against it. I fought against the whole idea of changing the sermon around because I invested so much time in it already. Eventually, I had to come to terms with it was becoming something else. So the sermon is about thwarted expectations. <laughs> uh, that's what we're talking about this morning, at least at the first, thwarted expectations. So Joseph uh, is a young man who is betrothed to a young woman by the name of Mary, and to say the least, he expected a non-pregnant betrothal, (laughs) Uh, but he doesn't get it, so he has to deal with thwarted expectations. It's completely different from anything that he had imagined. So let's get into it. Uh, Oh, well, first of all, just a reminder, we're in a four-week series on Advent. We're looking at angelic announcements. So this is the third in the four-week series, and now we are looking at uh, the angelic announcement to Joseph. So let's look at it, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So she was found to be with child. And then we get verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, or literally a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, betrothal was a much bigger deal back in that day than engagement is in ours. It was something along the lines of a legally binding arrangement. So it's a very serious deal. Now, she's found to be pregnant, meaning she began to show. And so this creates quite a predicament for Joseph. This is not something he expected. She's been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, Matthew tells us, but Joseph doesn't know that, so he has to deal with this situation, and it is quite beyond him. To say the least, this is an unplanned pregnancy. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't deem it necessary to inform Joseph regarding this particular arrangement, which creates quite a predicament for Joseph. He has to deal with it. What's he going to do now? He has a decision to make decision to make. That would have been an appropriate sermon. It's not going completely in that direction, at least at the first. So, um, but what's he going to do with all of this? He has to think the whole thing through. So this is, this is the beginning of the good news. This is the beginning of the gospel. But for Joseph, it is not starting out that way. 
It is starting out to be bad news. But Matthew tells us that he is a righteous man. He has a decision to make. What's he going to do? Is he going to go through with this marriage with this pregnant woman, or is he not? And he's a righteous man, and he decides rightly that the righteous thing to do is to not go through with the marriage, but also to divorce her in a quiet way so as not to expose Mary to shame. He is a righteous man. Righteousness doesn't equal compassion, but righteousness includes compassion. And this is the compassionate, righteous thing to do. So Joseph has resolved to do this, to put her away quietly. So regardless of your station in life, whether you are just starting out, whether you are finishing up, whether you are someplace in the middle, you probably have certain expectations for where your life is going to go, for what's going to happen. Uh, You don't know everything, and you don't have all the hopes all lined up, but you have probably have some expectations of how you want your life to go at this particular point. What you probably don't want to hear is the kind of news that Joseph heard. That's what Joseph heard. And so you get news like that from time to time, not particularly like this kind of news, but news that thwarts your expectations. So what do you do when you hear news that thwarts your expectations or things don't go according to plan and it's a very difficult uh, circumstance for you? Well, here's the first thing you need to know. You don't know everything that's going on. There are things going on in the world that you don't know about. You get this bad news and you interpret it as bad news, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on and you're not aware of all of it. So be careful of sort of interpreting things all of a sudden according to your particular rubric. So, um, and, and also be aware that God doesn't deem it necessary to inform you about everything that's going on. This bad thing happens, this apparently bad thing happens, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And God could tell you about all that stuff. God could tell you about the future. God could tell you about all the plans that are out there for you based on this bad thing, but he doesn't deem it necessary to do that. So it may feel as if God is letting you twist and turn a little bit. Now, if you base your assessment of things, of developments, solely on the basis of what you know, what you see, Know this, that your assessment of things is going to be incomplete at best and seriously flawed at worst. Does that make sense? You don't know everything that's going on. Something that, something that comes to you as bad news, you interpret it as bad news, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on that you don't know about. St. Anthony was a medieval monk who had an incredible relationship with God. And at one point in his life, he decided to go into a cave in order to meet with God. Instead, a multitude of demons assaulted him in multiple ways, according to his biographer. Not exactly what he was expecting. Thwarted expectations. He's expecting to meet with God. Instead, he meets with demons. What do we do with thwarted expectations? expectations. Now, Joseph next is given a little more information about what's going on, strangely enough, in a dream. Let's look at verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream 
saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is pondering these things. Everything that has happened, he's pondering still the decision that he has made. He has made this decision to divorce her quietly. He has not yet executed this decision. And while he is pondering these things, he falls asleep and he has a dream about these things, which would not be unusual. Oftentimes, when you go to sleep and you have a dream, you have a dream about the things that you've been pondering. Then again, how often do you fall asleep and have a dream and an angel appears to you in that dream? So this is a little different. This is a little weird. So the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says this, don't be afraid, marry her. You've made the decision. I know this. You've made the decision to put her away quietly, but what you need to do is you need to marry her. Don't be afraid, marry her. And then the angel lets Joseph in finally on this little secret. She is with child from the Holy Spirit. Until he gets this information, the only logical conclusion is that she is pregnant by another man because Joseph knows that he's not the guilty party. Now he gets a little more information. If he's going to believe this information in the middle of the night from an angel... She is with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, of all the things that Joseph considered that went into making this decision to put her away quietly, he probably did not consider the possibility that his fiance was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That is probably something that never would have occurred to him, but that actually happened. That's part of the story. He's not able to factor that in. In the moment, while he's twisting, while he's turning, while he's trying to decide what to do, finally he goes to sleep and the angel lets him in on the secret. She is pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. Angel continues, uh, continues, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, okay, she's going to give birth. That's not a given, right? Not all pregnancies result in birth. This one will. And not only that, you don't need one of those ultrasounds to figure out what the gender is. The angel knows the gender. It's going to be a boy. And you don't need one of those baby book uh, name books, you know, to try to figure out what the name is. The angel already has a name in mind. You're going to name him Jesus. Yes, there's going to be a birth. It's going to be a boy. It's going to have a name. You're going to name the boy Jesus. And the name has meaning. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. Yahweh, that's the personal name for the Lord. The Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. Now, that's a little different because men empowered by the Lord in the past saved the people of God from the pagans. But now the angel says this particular man, when he grows up, is going to save his people from their sins, not from the pagans, but from their sins. That's what the name means. We always have to remember that mostly Jesus comes to save us from ourselves, not from any outward oppression not from any government oppression, not from the Democrats, not from the Republicans, not from the world. Jesus comes to save us from our sins. He comes to save us from ourselves. 
So this is an amazing revelation. What started out as bad news has become unimaginably good news. What started out thwarting his expectations has become something beyond anything that Joseph could have imagined. He is going to be parenting the Son of God who is going to save his people from their sins. And the angel says, this was anticipated long ago in the scriptures. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this comes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And if you look at this verse in in the immediate context, you might not think this has anything to do with the distant virginal conception way down the line, centuries down the line. And indeed, this has some kind of near-term fulfillment. If you look at the broader context, Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 9, you will see that this had a near-term fulfillment, but also there was something sort of hinted at what was going on here to suggest that there was going to be some kind of far-term fulfillment. And indeed, there is when the Virgin Mary conceives. And there is going to be a name for this child called Emmanuel. Now, wait a second. Didn't the angel say you're going to name him Jesus? And now he says they're going to call him Emmanuel. What's up with that? Well, yes, his name is Jesus, but he sort of has a secondary name along the lines of a title, Emmanuel. Now, no one in the Gospels uses that name for Jesus. However, Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And the name Emmanuel means God with us. And the meaning of that name in this context, most of all, is that God is with us in Jesus to save us from our sins. And of course, he does that when he goes to the cross. So maybe something that starts out thwarting your expectations could turn into something that is beyond what you could even hope for. Maybe what seems to you to be an obstacle is a stepping stone for God. And maybe someday God will let you in on the little secret. You may struggle with it for a long time with this bad news, this bad development. You may be praying and wondering, and why is this happening? And then you might wake up one day, and maybe it's not an angel who comes to visit you, but you might make, wake up one day and say, you know, that turned out to be okay. In fact, that turned out to be really good. The bad news became good news. Always remember, you cannot outdream God. You can't outdream God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 that we cannot begin to imagine all that God has prepared for those who love him. We cannot begin to imagine Everything that God has prepared for those who love him. Jim Elliott was a missionary who was martyred before the age of 30. And uh, he wrote this to his friend, Elizabeth, who eventually became his wife. This is beautiful. Is it not, for all its sting, a wonderful way to live, Betty, to dream and want and pray almost savagely, then to commit and wait and see him quietly pile all dreams aside 
and replace them with what we could not dream the realized will. I ask you, is not this a wonderful way to live? To hope, to dream, to pray almost savagely, and then to watch what God does. And, you know, the realized will in Jim Elliott's life was that he would be martyred before the age of 30. But what happened? The entire tribe he was trying to reach came to Christ, and he inspired thousands of missionaries through the, through the years, even to this day. It was what he could not dream, the realized will. St. Anthony went into the cave to meet with God. Instead, he was assaulted by demons for hours and hours and hours. And finally, he saw this shaft of light. And in that shaft of light, he recognized the presence of the Lord was there. So what started out as bad news, demons, turned into good news, the presence of the Lord. Now, Joseph goes to sleep. He has this dream, and it sounds, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to do this, but you go to sleep, you have a dream, you got to wake up, don't you? <laughs> you got to wake up, and you got to live life. It's not so hard going to sleep. It's, well, for some of us it is. But it's hard waking up sometimes when you know what you got to face. So Joseph has to wake up. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as Matthew reports the story to us, we get this particular reaction from Joseph. Now, put yourself in his shoes for a second. Now, if I'm Joseph and I go to sleep and I have this dream, and I wake up, I might be saying, whoa, that was a weird one. Or I might be saying, did I get that right? And was that really an angel? What did the angel say again? You know, let me try going back to sleep, see if I get another dream, or see if I get that dream again. But Joseph doesn't do any of that. Instead, he responds to what the angel has instructed him to do. He's a righteous man. He follows the Lord. So when he went to sleep, he had plans to divorce Mary, albeit quietly. When he wakes up, he changes plans. He's going to take her for his wife. And think about this for Joseph. He's a righteous man. He is thinking about his wife, first of all. He's he's not going to shame her. He's going to put her away quietly And now he's going to marry her, but in marrying her, he opens up all sorts of things for himself so that he brings shame upon himself and everything that he's going to have to face, all the accusations around all of this. He brings shame upon himself. This is a righteous man. And he names him Jesus, and he knows the meaning of the name, and he knows the destiny of the child. He has no idea how the child will go about fulfilling this destiny. But he probably, when he 
calls him Jesus, is thinking about the dream, and when he calls to Jesus throughout the years, he's probably gonna remember the meaning of the name, and every once in a while, when he says, Jesus, come here, or something like that, he's gonna remember that dream. He's gonna remember the angel. He's gonna remember what the angel told him. He's gonna remember the destiny of this child. So why does not God deem it necessary to inform us about everything that's going on? especially when you have thwarted expectations. Why doesn't God let you know that, hey, all this is gonna turn out this way, and this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen, or right now, everything is in place for this thing to become something good. Why doesn't God tell us that? Why doesn't he deem it necessary to inform us about everything that's going on? It's because he deems it necessary to leave room for faith. That's what he deems necessary. He deems faith necessary, which is trust in God. In order to get trust from us, he has to leave room for faith. That's what he does. When the bad news happens, then there's space between the bad news turning into the good news. You have this space to turn to God. You have this space to nurture faith. You have this space so that faith can grow. So what do you do when you get the bad news? Well, You're trying to work with faith, right? You might turn to Romans 8.28 or a verse like that, and you might concentrate on that verse over and over again. You might repeat that to yourself, and the Holy Spirit who breathes out the word might give you some assurance that all things are going to work together for good, that God is going to cause this thing to work together for good. You might get that assurance from the Spirit. Then again, you might not. You might need to do what David did. David lamented. David poured out his heart to God. David even cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David went to the depths in his heart. He excavated all of that pain, all of that anguish, and he brought it to the Lord. And when you lament, strangely enough, You increase your capacity to listen to the voice of the Lord, even as the bad news echoes in your soul. How is this possible? It's possible because as you access the deep things in your heart and present them to God, you make the deep things in your heart accessible to God. Does that make sense? You cry out to God from the deep places. You make yourself accessible to God. You actually increase your capacity to listen to his voice as you lament, as you cry out. Faith is forged when bad news happens as we wait for it to turn into good news. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Now, this is anything but passive waiting. This is the application of your mind and your heart to what what is true. This is pouring out your heart to God in lament, This is sort of availing yourself of all of the tools, all the spiritual tools in the scriptures and prayer and with other people in the the body, asking for prayer, asking other people to pray for you, sharing with them. This is an an active waiting, waiting, actively wait for the Lord. I've been watching this uh, documentary on the Beatles. I don't know if some of you have probably seen that. It's Nine Hours by Peter Jackson, who directed The Lord of the Rings. And it's quite fascinating. It's the last recording sessions of the Beatles from, I think, 1969 or so. And you can see them 
You can see Lennon and McCartney sort of writing these famous songs on the fly in the recording studio. So I'm going to channel Paul McCartney in this sermon. There will be an answer. Let it be. Now, there's wisdom in that. I'm not sure God is in that for Paul McCartney, but there's wisdom in that. There will be an answer. Let it be. Now, I know God is in this. I know God is in Isaiah chapter 40, 31, where uh, we are told to wait for the Lord and that those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Note, they will renew their strength, not when the Lord acts to rescue them or redeem them. They will renew their strength. They will renew their faith as they wait for the Lord to act. Do you see what's going on there? You are strengthened in your faith in the space between when the bad news happens and when God turns it into good news. Think about Joseph. What is Joseph going to need going forward? He is going to need faith. He is going to need to trust the Lord. For crying out loud, he is going to be parenting the Son of God. You need faith for that. And the space that the Lord gives him between when the bad news turned into good news gave him the space. Looks like he was a good father. Or I guess you would say stepfather, right? So what do we need going forward? We need faith. Because who knows what we're going to be facing? And the Lord is going to give you all kinds of space, all kinds of room for you to trust him, for you to nurture your faith so that you're ready for whatever comes down the line because you're in a better position to trust the Lord. St. Anthony, he went into the cave to meet with God. Instead, he was assaulted by demons. Then the shaft of light came. And God was there. He sensed the Lord's presence. And then he asked the Lord, where were you? You know what the Lord said? According to his biographer, I was waiting. You were waiting. I was waiting. I was waiting to see what you would do. And indeed, St. Anthony fought. He fought the spiritual fight. And when he emerged from all of this, he was stronger So what was the Lord doing? The Lord was testing him. He was testing his faith to make his faith stronger. And indeed, according to his biographer, Anthony, after that, stood up and felt in his body an even greater vigor than before. The trial strengthened his faith. I meet with a group of men once a week, and knowing that I would be preaching this sermon on Sunday, I asked them the question, for each of them to answer, just tell a story about when God turned something bad into something good in your life. And uh, each of them went around. We probably spent about an hour doing this. And each, each of the brothers had these, this incredible, beautiful story to share about when God turned something bad into something good. Now, as I've been talking, some of you probably have been thinking about your own life. Maybe you've been thinking about, hey, there was some bad news I got, and how did it all turn out? Maybe it turned out pretty good. Maybe you're thinking of one or more stories. Maybe this has happened several times, many times in your life. 
And if it happens many times in your life, let me ask you a question. What are you going through now? Do you think God can do it again? He can. Wait for the Lord. So, Advent. What's Advent about? Advent's about waiting. First of all, for Christmas Day, but beyond that, for the second Advent, for Christ to come back again. So what's our task? Our task this day is to wait, to wait for the Lord. That's the big thing. This day, that's what we have. We woke up this day. We are here this day. We have this day to live. Then tomorrow, you know, we'll have another day, perhaps. We'll go to sleep tonight, we hope, and wake up tomorrow. And there's another day. But don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough problems of its own. You have this day to wait for the Lord. And then you're going to have another day, probably. Don't worry about the next day until it comes and you have another day. And you're probably going to have another day. And you'll probably have another day after that. And eventually, Jesus is going to come back. And that is worth waiting for. And when that happens, if you are trusting the Lord, if you work through all of these difficulties, if you wait for him, you will be ready for all that Jesus has for you for all eternity. So the the sermon started to be a a sermon about decision-making, which would have been fine, I'm sure, but it ended up being a a sermon about thwarted expectations and ultimately a sermon about waiting. And as I thought about it, I was thinking, this is more in keeping with Advent because Advent is about waiting. This is a sermon about waiting, right? So we're waiting. And maybe this is is what you need this morning, some of you. Maybe you needed to hear this this morning. I was going to give you something about decision-making, but I don't think that's what the Lord had for you this morning. I think maybe the Lord had for you a sermon about waiting. So, therefore, pray and wait and dream and hope and lament as savagely as you like. And when Jesus comes back, you will be ready for all that he has for you. Well, I'd like to invite you to stand because we are going to continue worshiping the Lord, pouring out our heart to him in worship. And as you do, I'd like to read for you Psalm 130, verses 5 through 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning.